Exceeding Expectations, episode 28. Welcome to Exceeding Expectations, the show where our guests give you ideas on how you can give a better experience to your customers. And you may hear someone from a very different industry and they talk about something that is very different to what you do, but maybe with some tweaks, you can make it work in what it is that you do. Today's guest is Marian Ellis. And if you ever bought a house or especially if you've remortgaged, I think the whole surveying process, she's a surveyor, that's her background is, it's something we give very little thought to and we just want this, the, the survey to come back as quickly as possible with the, the figure that we need to, to get that remortgage or whatever it might be and we don't really give much thought to what's actually involved somehow or maybe it's just me. So Marion's going to tell us about the, the complaint handling awards and, and how she trains uh, new surveyors and and get them to think about things from the consumer point of view so that's this week's episode with marion ellis here we are for another edition of exceeding expectations and my guest today is marion ellis how are you marion i'm great thank you how are you tony i'm very well thank you so we were just having a, a brief chat before we started recording and you, know, you were telling me a few things about yourself and so on. And one of the things I found quite interesting, you were, you told me you, you recently judged the UK Complaint Handling Awards. Yes, what on earth I is did. that? I know. Can, can you believe that there's an award for good complaint handling? It's the first time that I've done it. I've judged at the UK Customer Experience Awards a couple of times and they asked me if I was interested in um, in doing the complaint awards. My background is in complaints and claims, so it was quite interesting to to give it a go. And the thing about these awards and being a judge is that it really it's a great opportunity to get out of your industry. It always fascinates me what people do for a living um, and the, the, the different things that they come up with, the solutions, the, the challenges that they face. But do you know what? Some of them are very similar to the industry that you might be in. So I've actually learned an awful lot um, out of doing it. I, I note it down as a CPD, <laughs> uh, but I have, I have a, lot, a lot of fun doing them. The Complaints Awards this time, it was the first time for me. And it was great because I think my category was most improved complaint handling. And okay. it was a small category, variety of different uh, uh, people. Uh, businesses mm. small large you know uh, but what's great about some of these is that you do get the independence going it's not just all about big big corporates mm. but it, it, yeah it's, it's, it's fascinating to see the challenges that people face and then how they address them and what I always love about them most is just the passion that comes through when people say mm. do you know what things aren't great sometimes but this is what we do about it and this is how we're mm. going to stop it happening in the future uh, and for me, it always sort of puts a, a real human touch behind the people who deal with complaints and claims. For many years, I actually didn't tell people what I did for a living. I used to just say I was an, in an office, I was office manager. Right. And that was because it was a bit difficult <laughs> to, to explain to people because I'm a chartered mm. surveyor. I work in the residential right. valuation sector. So your home buyers, building surveys, mortgage valuations, that kind of surveyor. And then about 
10 or so years ago, I moved to a central head office role to do audits and they had a complaint team of three and they said, oh, would you mind helping out? I then took that on and it was great for me as a surveyor. Before I became a surveyor, I'd actually worked in on, in call centres like BT, British Gas, that kind of thing. So I wasn't afraid mm. to talk to someone on the phone, whereas a lot mm. of surveyors or technical people are sometimes. So it was quite mm. a natural thing for me to do. And that I then, you know, it started with, you know, queries, dissatisfaction to actually large negligence, defect and valuation claims. So it was a really interesting thing for me to involve in. But explaining to somebody what I did, they would always, mm. you know, are, are you a quantity surveyor? No, I'm not. I'm a different type of surveyor. And then have to explain that. And then they'd mm. say, well, what's happening with the housing market? Should I buy or sell? And you mm. never want to be asked that as a, as a, as a surveyor, you just resist. And then when you give your opinion, they challenge you on it. And then when mm. I used to say I dealt with complaints and claims, they would normally say, God, your job must be horrible being shouted at all day. And it wasn't at right. all, you know, when you're dealing with that kind of problem, it's very mm. emotive. Yes, you have to have a lot of empathy, but you have to be really, really um, cool. You know, you have to really have that distance where you can mm. show empathy that you understand but do you know what? There's a problem to be solved here. And this isn't just, you know, someone with a, a faulty product or a poor service that's gone wrong. This is people's homes. It's their lives. Mm. And that's big stuff. So I, what I, and really that's where my customer experience journey started because I had this huge team, which I grew to deal with, um, to deal with all the complaints and claims. And I realized that actually complaint, number, complaint numbers were going down, but I was still, mm. you know, in terms of what we were defending, but I was still getting lots of queries in and dissatisfactions and things. And so I started mm. to look at, well, why are they coming to us? You know, if we're batting them away or defending them or, you know, it's, it's, it's not a complaint as we would see it, why are they still coming mm. to us? And that then took me on a journey of, of customer experience of, making sure people have the information that they need uh, to make the decisions that they, they need to make, that the reports that we used to provide were useful and people knew what to do with it, that they knew who we were as a company. You know, one of the, the simplest things that people can do is a, a welcome. Welcome to our business. This is who we are and what we're going to do. I know you've just bought a product of us, but let me tell you again, welcome uh, and open up the opportunity so people can talk. And then just a real mm. thank you for your business at the end. Thank you for spending mm. that time with us, not just money. Thank you for that. And mm. I started to see a real difference in then the kind of complaints that I would get in. You know, yes, mistakes happen sometimes, but they were what I would call cleaner complaints. You know, they were mm. more straightforward. They weren't, and you did this, and there was a typo, and somebody didn't call, and et cetera. You know, people don't complain about just one mm. thing. When they get very yeah. annoyed, they then get it all off their chest to the list of 28 different things. And we were able to really clear clear that out. But what that meant then was when we dealt with complaints, yes, it was cleaner, it was easier to understand what the challenges were, what the, the problems were, how to resolve it. But you already had that expectation of, uh, of good service rather than you know a very angry negative customer so so it was, it's been an interesting journey for me and the the team that I had at the time so initially I had 
I think at one point it was a team of 40, believe it or not, you know, um, some, some abroad as well. And we changed that around so that actually half the team were dealing with the problems and half the team were being really proactive, saying, talk to us, talk to us. What is it you don't know? What can we help you with? Um, and through that, we really refined some of our internal processes. So uh, so I, I left the, the corporate role um, just over a year ago now. And that's taken me on a different journey to get involved in all sorts of other stuff. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend anybody going to have a go at judging. Uh, you do have to do a bit of work. It's not just sitting there <laughs> all day. Um, you know, right. it's a bit of prep work where you have to review people's submissions. But it's a real mm. insight to the way that other businesses and other people and other industries tackle some of the challenges that they've faced. And um, yeah, I love it. When you t- you're talking about uh, the sort of the complaints that are coming in, so that was what type of thing was it coming in, and who was it you were? Uh, feeding back to yeah so I worked for a large corporate firm of surveyors I started my uh, professional career as a a surveyor down in Croydon I'd inspect Mm -hmm. lots of properties for house purchase remortgage for banks and house buyers and the so the kind of problems that you then have are people who bought a property and you've moved in and on day one something doesn't work something's collapsed there's a problem and you would then be contacted to say, right. what, you know, oh my goodness, what's gone on? Hmm. So, uh, so, so it's that kind of uh, kind of thing. But there was a, there's a whole range of things from uh, on the remortgage side where you you know, surveyor would value the property, and the Daily Mail the next day would say house prices have gone up ten percent. And then you'd get a phone hmm. call to say, well, the Daily Mail says the house prices have gone up, therefore my house should be valued more. You know, so people's right. expectations of, of property value and, and what things are, are worth. Hmm. Um, you might get, you know, uh, things like conduct. The surveyor didn't talk to me. He didn't tell me what my house was worth. Well, he can't because hmm. you're not the client. The bank is. So it's sometimes yeah. explaining some of that. There'd hmm. be the defects, you know, ones that, that as, you know, as I said, that would go wrong. And typically there would be either when someone's just moved in and when the vendor has moved all their property out, all their you know furniture and things out, you then discover things that we couldn't have seen. Or sometimes, you know, a couple of months in, when people start decorating, and they strip mm-hmm. the wallpaper off, and they see cracks or, or whatever. So mm-hmm. they would then sort of um, stagger in. But then you get things like valuation claims, and that's typically where, say, a property's been repossessed, and the bank would mm-hmm. then come to you as a surveyor to say, well, you know. It, we've had to repossess the property now we look at it we think you overvalued and mm. those are fortunately few and far between now but you know in 2007 8 9 10 the surveying industry sort of the property industry with the housing market crash those were dark dark days for surveyors and we used to get what they call confetti letters where solicitors mm. would send you a notification of a claim just in case we might see you in the future we think there's a problem uh, and they came in in their hundreds and thousands uh, and there were, wow. were horrible times to mm. deal with. Now, a lot of them were defended. Um, a lot of surveyors were able to um, sort of negotiate those those claims. And the practices that, that we had in the industry back then were lax. You know, it, um, mm. record keeping wasn't great. Technology wasn't what it was. Now, mm. you know, 10 years on, 
things are much, much better. There's a, a much more robust way of recording your notes, understanding how this, what the surveyor did, uh, their opinion, and all of that really helps then when you go to defend a claim or to investigate a claim. There's nothing better than picking up a file with all the notes that you need. So at least you can, you know, whether you defend mm. it or, or not, you can at least understand what's gone on. So the industry has um, has moved on quite a bit. There's, I mean, there's many different types of uh, surveys. And I, I, from what I understand, there's quite a misunderstanding in the general public about the, the differences between all of them. Oh, gosh, there is. And we don't help ourselves at all. And as it happens at the moment, the RICS, the Royal Institution of Starter Surveyors, are looking at um, reviewing their home surveys offerings and how they expect surveyors to provide those services. So the RICS has their own licensed products, which is the home buyer survey and a building survey, which most people will be familiar with. And they're effectively a template for surveyors to use. But what they also say is, well, you know, so long as you meet these standards and you carry out an inspection to these levels one, two, three, you can do in whatever colour paper you want, you know, whatever whistles and bells, as long as it meets these standards. And that makes it really confusing for a consumer to mm. know if they're comparing like with like when they you know, compare services with a surveyor. And what's interesting mm. right now at the moment is that the RICS are reviewing it and you've got, you know, I can think of five or six different products and services out there that are being tested and trialed in the market. Um, mm. You know, big, big lenders, um, just some of the, the bigger surveying panel firms, estate agents starting to work on some. And there's everything from, you know, sort of a 17-point checklist on your home to a report that's full of photos. Um, you know, they're, they're really trying to push the boundaries as to, well, what does a report look like for a consumer now buying a property? Mm. And when I was dealing with all of the claims and all of the problems, that's the kind of thing that I then looked at. Well, you know, we've given you this report, but do you know why? Why didn't you use it? Why didn't you get the advice that you needed? Because we said in the report you needed to get the dampness checked or speak to an engineer. Why? Why didn't that happen? And yeah. what I discovered is that the reports that we send out, do you know what? On the whole, they are great, mm. but some of them are full of caveats, very defensive reporting mm. because we've got this background of being sued. It all stops with the surveyor. Um, mm. The reports are very, very text-heavy, jargon-heavy. You know, the reading mm. age in the UK is 11. Wow. The reading age in the UK is 11, and that will get you through a Harry Potter book. doesn't necessarily mean that you might be able to spell Voldemort or understand you know, some complex parts of the story, but you'll get the gist. And mm. what I discovered was that we were sending out, actually, you know, sometimes really helpful reports, but people weren't using them they didn't know how to digest them you know when you get something sent through the post or, or on email we all skip through and you want to get to the juicy parts it tells you what's wrong and so mm. there for me there was a we're giving great advice and even now as I look at the different report types that are out there there's still some great stuff in there but it's refining it to make sure that it lands with that individual 
So mm. I started to look at well, what do different report types look like? You know, do we need to do more of a magazine feel rather than sort of this text heavy? Do we need to talk to customers more to make sure that they understand? And what we have in the industry really is this um, approach of being consistent. We have to consistently do our reports all of the same, all the same. But what we fail to recognise is that individuals are all different, and we need. So our service should should recognise that consumers are consistently different. Yeah. So we need to mm-hmm. uh, uh, to marry the two, and there are lots of different ways that we can that we can start to uh, start to address that. Um, so how is yeah? So from what you've just been saying and about. It, Ten years ago, when there was all the um, yeah the bank collapses and and, and the, the pressure that surveyors were having then, so how has it changed from that period to, to now? What is different about what a surveyor does and what a consumer receives? So the main differences are the use of technology and I suppose standardising what a surveyor does. So most surveyors will use. Uh, software um you've, you most people have heard of right move the websites well they have a surveyors comparable tool that all the surveyors largely use to find the best comparable evidence and record it so mm. that i mean that's never been tested in courts yet as far as i'm aware but it's so much better mm. than it used to be you know we used to have a piece of paper and a highlighter pen you know and say these three are the mm. same <laughs> you know and from our from our knowledge so the, yeah. the amount of inf- so the um, uh, the the quality of that is uh, is much better. In terms of what mm. surveyor does actually out on site, there are different um, tools and things that have been used. So you'll see things like drones or three sixty cameras or those sort of heat camera sensors. There's lots of different. Mm. Yeah, you know, there's apps even that can help you work out levels. So there's lots of different things that surveyor can use, but it comes back down to, well, what would a reasonable surveyor do? You know, would, mm. is it reasonable now for a surveyor to scour the internet for what's going on in a local area? You know, in mm. the past, we might have just looked at the new local newspaper, you know, and said, is there a new housing development in the back? You know, we might have sort of contacted the local planning office or whatever. But is it reasonable now to... to to go that far and that's some of the challenges that the that the industry has but Mm. there's a lot that we know about property now compared to 10 20 years ago and we know that from the likes of things like insurance claims um Mm. you know on subsidence you know some of the big insurance companies subsidence you know they know all the postcodes where it's where there's clay soil and it's more likely or the flooding areas and so in many ways if we know that information before then it, a surveyor should have, or a conveyancer even, should have all of that information up front. And 20 years ago, I did my dissertation. Uh, it's on a floppy disk somewhere in my loft, and I keep on threatening to go and find it, although I'll ne- never be able to get the information off because I don't think anyone uses floppy disks anymore. But I did my dissertation mm. on the Home Information Pack, which was a, a government initiative to have this seller's pack so it had everything mm. ready before you sold the house and it didn't happen for lots of different reasons something similar actually happened in scotland and they've got mm. the um the home report and, and single survey up there and that works well it's established but in in mm. england and wales we didn't and as i look at it now 
20 years on with the technologies that we've got, with what we know about our our properties and the landscape and how things lie, there's no reason why we can't have something like that now. And mm. that actually helps people. There are, there are lots of things. You know, there are, there are properties out there now that if the bank's hooked up with the estate agents and run it through an online system with data that we've got, it could be mortgage ready and pre-approved in principle as it was put on the market. Mm. You know, so you don't then have to put it on the market. Then the buyer then has to go and get the mortgage valuation later, you know, and it sort of takes Mm. time. It could all be pre-approved. I mean, yes, there's Mm. things you need to check, you know, to get me wrong, but but there's a lot of upfront stuff that we, that we can do and so I'm doing um, some work with a home buying and selling group which is actually looking at how we bring the industry together because what we do is we work in silo we work on our own so surveyors have they inspect properties we've got this challenge with you know our reporting which is starting to be addressed and, and and things will change but we don't always talk to you know the estate agents or the conveyancers you know, or or, any, or or anybody else, and similarly, conveyances mm. do their thing, and they what they will do is they'll they'll get a something will flag up and they'll get a report and it'll go to the bank and then it'll go to the surveyor, who says is mm. you know is this a problem in your opinion, and the surveyor says I don't know it's in black and white, <laughs> it's not color you know, um, and it'll yeah. send back and you know typically these things like environmental reports. You know, um, it's in a flooding area. Does this affect your valuation? Is it okay? And a surveyor yeah. can't say it's okay unless it's outside of a lender's gu- uh, guidance and criteria. But yeah. that you know, but they can say, well, it wasn't flooding when I was there. You know, or they can mm. consider sort of the impact, but they can't say the yes, you should buy it. No, you shouldn't. And so, mm. across the industry, from from the banks who have the technology to do things much much better um, and drive actually a lot of the, the the house buying industry with with their demands from conveyances who really need to up their skills in terms of technology particularly a lot of these mm. these smaller firms and to work better together surveyors who in my view aren't always very customer friendly you know they're mm. they're great people at inspecting property they're not all great at talking to customers and understanding what what a customer needs um mm. you know you've got estate agents who you know, let's face it actually get quite a lot of stick and some of them aren't great but you know what there are some brilliant estate agents out there and they recognize that people are people want to um move home they don't want to go through a process you mm. know and there's some great estate agents out there and then you've got people like you know removal firms at the tail end who who are part of that home buying process and journey and i was talking Mm. to somebody uh, a removal guy uh, recently and he was telling me about how um he had spent three hours uh, his customer spent three hours sat in a car in a car park pub car park waiting for the chain to complete so what happens Mm. is you know the bottom of the chain will uh, will complete and the money then sort of gets you know ticked up and passed on and mm. there was a delay at the first one because the solicitor was in the meeting and this sort of huge chain mm. of about five or six. And this mm. lady was then left sort of sat in the car park. Is it going to happen today? Because of the whole sort of office hours and money transferring. And there's a mm. couple of things. One, the banks could absolutely make that happen with one push of a, push of a button. 
so that all payments mm. are made at all, all you know, collect the chain and make all payments made at the same time so that you don't, you mm. don't have that delay. But there's a real human mm. cost here for me. You know, so this lady, it was an expensive house that she was buying. She sat in their car with her kids for a couple of hours. And actually, that gives a lot of uncertainty because our mm. homes are our safe places. Now, I know that there are people who live on the streets and who can't afford homes and the challenges. Mm. But, you know, for those people who can, who have scraped up enough money to buy a property, you know, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of stress, you know, whether you've got, we got the money or not. And <clears throat> to sit in that car park and think, actually, have I got a home? Am I going to be living in a travel lodge tonight? You know, what do I do with all this stuff? To actually the mm. removal guys who have traveled, you know, to do their job and they don't get, mm. they can't get home until very late at night and they can't see their, see their kids and families mm. all because a solicitor at the start of the chain was in a meeting and couldn't approve some funds. There's a real human cost across the whole thing, not just for people in the people buying houses, but also for people in the industry. As you were speaking, I was wondering, are there any that you're aware of, any s systems in other countries that, that work better than, than what we have? There are pros and cons to them. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different models. The fact is, yeah, I mean, actually, I was listening to the, the news um, just yesterday and the Chancellor was talking about we need to buy, we need to build new homes and we're releasing some funding to build um, I think I, it was, I think it was thirty thousand new homes, to, so we can get to our target. And at the same mm. time, there was an article that came out in the Telegraph that talked about there's a five percent increase in the number of empty homes in the UK, mm. and whether mm. people have got second homes or they're you know they're vacant for whatever reason. And it's all a, we we tend to look at quick fixes. Oh, we need more houses because there's you know people are struggling, um, mm. and the, the, there's a limit, you know. Um, or we should look at abroad, you know, like what they do in, in Norway or in Denmark or Australia actually use an awful lot of, of technology. But they're different mm. countries or people are looking for quick fixes. And they talk about mm. a broken housing market. And actually, it's not that that broken, I don't think. It's just quite disorganized. And mm. the problem with uh, building new homes in my view, and I used to work for a, a developer at one, at one stage early on in my career, but the problem with building new homes is that for me, it's a bit like giving sweets to a growing child. Now, you've got that euphoria of, ooh, sweets, um, but it tends to be short-lived and you get that, that sugar rush and, oh, you mm. think it's great. But the fact is, you know, if you eat too much sugar, you get long-term health problems. And the problem mm. with new homes is that the quality isn't really great sometimes. We've got all these issues with leasehold and the scandals that you'll have heard about. Uh, um, mm. High-rise buildings, which they're building a lot of, and the cladding issues, the fire safety issues that we've got. So mm. there's, there's lots of issues, and it doesn't really get to the root of the problem, which for me is that actually we've got a process, a legacy pro process in our country that needs to be improved but it starts with talking to each other. These industries, um, you know, the, the surveyors, the conveyances, the estate agents, the banks, talking to each other to see what they can be done to improve. Mm. 
that's for me is the, uh, is, is the is the real key because we're all concentrating on what we can do to improve our own customer experience and our businesses directly but we're not looking either side of us and from a consumer's point of view yes they might deal with lots of different professionals but they're on one long journey and that journey is the most expensive purchase they will probably ever buy and mm. we've got to we've got to think about that in that in that context a lot of people, um, especially when people are remortgaging, the the whole kind of evaluation side of it is just kind of seen as a hurdle. They just want to get over as quick as possible. And and so therefore, I wonder if people even look at the evaluation report that comes back. Uh, absolutely right. And there's a different view from the different banks and building societies as to whether they release the report to the customer or not. And as I understand it, that comes from the Financial Conduct Authority, the FCA's approach, that uh, they've got an initiative called Treating Customers Fairly, the mm-hmm. TCF policy. And really, you know, in its best terms, it's about consistency of service, making sure that everybody gets the right advice in the right way, um, consistently, the sort of a blanket uh, approach. And it's, when it's done well, it's, it's not a bad thing. But not everybody in that home buying journey, as in the businesses and, and industries, are aligned to that or regulated by that. And the way that they, the lenders work is they will take a view as to, is it right, is it fair to the customer to release that report or not? Hmm. So at the bank or, or, or a bank or lender, they are there to lend the money. Others take the view of, well, actually, we're a building society and we care a bit more and we it's all about you in your home. And we think it's right that you should have a, a copy of the report. So what you find is inconsistency where some banks say we're only doing the, the valuation and they've had to refine the kind of information that they need for their lending crit- criteria and really sort of strip it back and say, no, if you need property advice, evaluation is not a survey. You need to go and get it. Whereas others sort of go over and above and are, their reports are almost as high quality um, or actually they call it a valuation survey. And it's not a survey, it's a valuation for mortgage lending purposes. A survey is something different right. and there's usually a direct contract between the consumer and the surveyor, not through the bank. So the, so that mm. these banks and building societies are really confusing things for, um, for the consumers. What's interesting is that going forward – many banks won't provide the valuation report to the consumer and they won't Mm. provide the valuation figure because actually they'll just say, you know, you wanted to borrow, you're remortgaging, you wanted to borrow an extra £20,000. Yes, it's approved Mm. because that's all they they need to say. So the industry Mm. is really changing between those who want to go over and above and be helpful uh, and those that say, no, actually, our remit is just to borrow money and make sure we're doing reasonable and sensible lending, but we advise them to get advice elsewhere. And that creates a real opportunity for surveyors to change the way that they mm. work. But they need to start mm. wearing their um, customer surveyor hat, not their value of bank hat on. And that's when they mm. need to start changing the way that they work. And that's the kind of thing that I'm now really committed to in my current role at Blue Box Partners uh, which is a, a small firm of surveyors that provides technical training and advice to surveyors. And we're really committed to helping them be better. How do they, how do surveyors 
differ. So what, what is it that you can say to the people you're working with to, to help them give a better service to, to the people, to the consumers they're working for? Well, for, for us, there are a few different ways of looking at, at the work that a surveyor does. So there's mm. the usual CPD, the technical stuff, all the really juicy, boring stuff that everybody else hates, but surveyors love, the, the technical stuff, mm. the stuff that they're, they're right. really good at. But it's putting that into context as to, okay, mm. you know, so here's a, um, a CPD mm. session on Japanese knotweed, which is all very interesting. But mm. what does that mean for you when you report to a consumer? And what mm. does the consumer do if there's Japanese knotweed? How can you be more more helpful and so for us we really want to try and sort of put that into context and for the surveyor to feel empowered with this information but if they understand their customer they can then translate it and and use it in the right way Um, Mm -hmm. we're also looking at you know actually how we help surveyors be better in business uh, and that sort of whole small business support from everything from how to have a great LinkedIn profile to, you know, systems and processes and tech within your business that can help you, um, like any other small um, small business. We also mm. try and concentrate actually on well-being. You mm. know, um, again, the stresses of when you work for yourself or for a small business, which most of us at Blue Box are, we've got our own businesses and things as well. It's really hard. Mm. It's really difficult. And sometimes you know, when you go out for the day, let's face it, you know, sometimes the weather isn't great. Um, you know, it, it, it can be quite a, it, it's a tough job going out. It's actually quite mm. a physical job sometimes. But that whole sort of well-being piece of it is really important for us. And um, a couple of years ago, there was um, a couple of suicides, high-profile suicides of surveyors in our industry. And so mental health awareness is something that we're, with as an industry, we're really um, keen to raise awareness of um, mm. and then the other part really is building relationships and that customer experience uh, and that's mm. where I you know sort of I come in you know if surveyors knew that the average reading age in the UK was 11 they might think differently about how they write their reports you know we, mm. we write all of the this content technical content but did you know actually you can get a copywriter to help you you know sort of mm. rephrase some of these things change the language that you use Interestingly, I was at a conference that I presented just last week, and I talked about how women in the in, in the UK hold something like eighty five percent of the purse of the buying decisions mm. that are made in the UK. Either they go out and mm. buy it, or they prod, you know, the the other half, the 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 man to go out mm. and buy it. And mm. actually, a couple of surveyors came up to me after and said, "Crikey, do you know what?" I didn't realize you just, you know, most of my customers are actually women. The ones that I talk mm. to are actually women. Initially, they might talk to the men, but it, it's it's women. And, and they've got to change their language in terms of understanding mm. the needs of these women and what their priorities are. And just, you know, the fact is, however you look at it, men and women are different. You know, so sometimes just understanding uh, understanding that. And then really having that appreciation of the whole home buying and selling journey so that you're not just, whilst you might have relationships with your estate agents or the conveyancer who might refer work and you've got these sort of business relationships, what does, what does it look like from a consumer's point of view? You know, do you know who their solicitor is or who the estate agent is? 
you know do you know where they are in the train what do you know about them you know are, are they a young family with young with young kids and they've got certain anxieties have they bought and sold 10 times before and they're they're, they're not worried you know but actually mm. that makes them a bit more overconfident you know do they understand mm. some of the pressures and things that are going on and understand it in that in that context early on in the um when we started recording we you were talking about the UK Complaint Handling Awards. And one of the things you mentioned was about the, the most, most improved category. And I'm baffled by that. So how would they determine how, so is this some company, like all different industries? I mean, how, how do they determine something like that? So, yeah, so that category was all about really how they upped their game in their complaint handling so there might have been a number of triggers where you know actually you know they got they got a complaint from their own regulator say or they realized it was costing them more money on claims than they were in terms of bringing business in a whole sort of raft of things might that might cause a, a trigger you know they might have been mm. recruiting lots of staff you know more staff to deal with complaints than sales say i don't know so 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 there was a right. issue there's a trigger but the, the in that category, they were looking at what we used to do and what worked and what didn't and what we do now, what the initiatives were, you know. Mm. So it was how they, for some of them, it was how they communicated with different departments. You know, um, one mm. of them, I think, had something, you know, something, oh, I don't know, about 11 phone lines to get through to a complaints department or team. Um, you know, sort of how yeah. they how they made a difference to uh, gathering the information, their handling of it, importantly, how they empowered their people. And one of the key mm -hmm. things in complaint handling is actually employee experience and empowering people to do the job. And that's something that I see a lot of in my industry. So when I had a, a complaints and claims team, I realized that um, – they were dealing with some high value properties. And when I actually started to talk to them about, you know, well, how do you feel this case is going and what do you think we should do? Is that whilst on paper, yeah, they could handle it and they were great. Some of these people are, are never going to buy and sell a house themselves. Mm. You know, the, and that, that goes across the whole of the home buying and selling industry. So you've got people who will never be able to afford to buy their own home. State agent salaries mm. aren't great. People who work in complaints departments, salaries aren't great. Unless you get to a certain level or you're professionally qualified with a specific task, it's the same as any other administrative type job, you know, as, as, as poor as that sounds. And what I realized is that I really needed to work on helping them empathize and understand. So for me, mm. you know, my training for the team would then involve that, yeah, I wouldn't just go out with a surveyor for the day. They would go and visit an estate agent. They would understand and speak to – we had sessions with conveyances as much as we could so they could understand the, the process. Um, and then we got them to talk about, you know, if they couldn't buy and sell a house, actually what was their experience of renting or perhaps their mm. parent or a sibling or auntie or somebody was, was, was buying and selling a house. And really just to be aware, to be um, aware of what was going on in the news uh, and just really have that, that sort of – you know, when you work in complaints, you've got to have empathy and understanding – but it's a big ask sometimes to put someone in that position. And that was the same in some of the, uh, you know, some of the people who were in the judging category, you know, they, they mm. didn't have um, the ailments or the financial issues or the, the challenges their, their customers had. 
And therefore, it's a big ask to have somebody to have empathy. And that's very different to sympathy. Because empathy, you know, yes, I hear you. This is what we're going to do about it together. Rather than, oh, I'm so sorry that's happened. Oh, you know, we can all, all, all be like that. Because empathy actually yeah. get, means you understand and you then work out a plan of what, what needs to be done to resolve it or to move it forward. So the the most improved sort of uh, category that uh, that I had was really for me is did they understand that? Did, uh, and it was the power of employee experience, which is customer experience just internally for me. You know, what did they do and how did they invest? And some of them, you know, brought in their frontline staff to talk about it. And that's when you really see the passion coming through. As far as um, exceeding expectations is concerned, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, exceeding expectations, managing expectations. It sounds like something we should do. Um, and I think people can really overthink it. There's a great quote that I always come back to by a tennis player, American tennis player called Arthur Ashe uh, from back in the 70s, mm. I think it was. And he had, mm. had a quote and he said, start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. And that's for me where it starts. You know, whatever level you are in an organization or, or within your industry, you just start, you just start being a bit nicer. You just start being a bit kinder. And then you notice what makes a difference. And you talk to others mm. about it and you start to share experience. You then share mm. case studies. I think they're really, really powerful, um, a powerful tool to show what's been done not on the old sort of marketing hype of you know testimonials that's different but to really start mm. to to share um and then you start to use the power of your network people don't realize the network that they have sometimes when you know there's nothing better for me when you actually when you get a junior member of staff who comes to you or to another senior and flags something and says what do i do about this and you say what do you think and they they know the answer the claims teams, the customer experience teams, your frontline team, a lot of them know the answer. They've just never been asked. So use your network and use the people that, um, that are there and, and do what you can. Sometimes, you know, you know, I mean, look at me. I'm, I'm all for changing the home buying and selling industry. That's massive. But you know what? You just do what you can. I'm not going to do it single handedly. Crikey. I know that. But I know that there are bits that I can do that make a difference. And I know that talking about it makes a difference. And that's just mm. where it starts. Marion, it's, I want to be respectful of your time. It's uh, 42 minutes gone already. So um, if people want to find out more about you, where, where would they go? So best place really would be to come and find me on LinkedIn or visit our website at blueboxpartners.com. Okay. Well, it's been a, a pleasure speaking with you, Marion. And I look forward to, to meeting you sometime. Yeah, you too. Thanks very much. Next week is episode 29 with James Nathan, who has a company called The James Nathan Experience. He also, also has a podcast called The James Nathan Show. Uh, James is a he's a speaker. His past is in um, accountsment and recruitment, and he does many things now. As well as as a speaker, he's a, a trainer and and helps many different companies out. 
and some of the things that we talk about next week are why you shouldn't use satisfaction surveys what the shop lush can teach us and why a waiter's job is not seen as a career here in the UK as it is in France and we cover many many more things as well hope you've enjoyed this week's show why not join the Facebook group Exceeding Expectations share some insights about this episode or any other ask some questions and it'll be great if you can maybe leave a review for the podcast on iTunes or any of the other podcast platforms hope you have a fantastic week and see you next week